Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is August, uh, Tuesday, August 13th. And uh, man, we did a show yesterday. We're doing a show again today. I'm feeling good. Um, <laughs> funny, I said we. I always say we. I hope it's clear. You know, there was a comment on my, uh, my show yesterday saying, how many people help you? Like, well, how big is your team of people? <laughs> Dude, there's no team. It's just me. I do all this. <laughs> I edit. I record. I have the lighting. I do all the, It's a lot of work. It's fun. I love it so much. I love my job, man. I just am so grateful you guys listen and allow me to live my oh, Man, I'm just so, so fulfilled. So happy. Uh, we have a great show today. We're going to talk about Antonio Brown. We're going to talk about Dak Prescott. He wants $40 million, apparently. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, we're going to talk about former Florida State quarterback DeAndre Francois. We're going to talk some Pac-12 football. Um, I'm so excited for the end of the show. Not not because I want to finish recording. I, I love doing this. Uh, no, Ask Zach at the end of the show is a really, really special version of Ask Zach. Um, instead of doing, I'm, you know, you know, I'm not going to tell you. Just wait, watch and find out. Listen to the show. You'll find out later. It's going to be great. Um, I guess that's a good teaser. I'll leave it at that. I want to start today with this. Um, Every season for the last couple of years in the NFL, there's always a group of people who are saying constantly things like, you know, this is the year the Patriots fall off the cliff. You know, this is the year the Brady-Belichick era will end. And it's getting so annoying. It's, I'm so tired of it. I, I'm done with it. It's an argument. I'm, I'm just over it. It's always the same argument. Tom Brady's old. They're going to lose. And, and I guess, you know, <laughs> I guess if you say it every year, eventually it's going to be true. But it's just getting silly and ridiculous. I don't know. You know, until we have a real reason to believe the Patriots are not the same team, can we stop saying it? Like, until there's evidence. Because the argument that, you know, Tom Brady's old, it, it's a real tired argument. I'm over it. The day that Tom Brady struggles to move around or he can't throw a football, or the day that the Patriots culture starts falling apart. And, you know, you're, you can make the argument that, you know, hey, Bill Belichick seems to be slipping. He's losing his step. His attention to detail isn't there. Until those things happen, please stop saying, the Patriots, this is the year they're going to fall off a cliff. Because I, I don't know. To me, it seems like the Patriots have earned the benefit of the doubt. Right? They, you know, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been to nine Super Bowls together. They've won six of them. Can we, can we just can we give them the benefit of the doubt? And not to mention, by the way, <laughs> the Patriots just won the Super Bowl, and then they got better. Their roster's better this year than it was last year. And last year, as I just said, <laughs> they won the Super Bowl. They're a great team. I, I, do, I do not understand. Uh, the, the players I'm really excited to watch this year for the Patriots, uh, Nikhil Harris, his young rookie wide receiver, he's going to be awesome. Uh, they also drafted, sorry, there's, so that's who they drafted. In the first round, they drafted Nikhil Harry. They have an undrafted rookie wide receiver, Jacoby Myers from NC State. Uh, I watched Ryan Finley's film, the quarterback at NC State. I'll be honest, uh, Jacoby Myers didn't really jump off the screen to me, but apparently he's been lighting it up at camp. Uh, and he's probably, I would imagine, my, my inference is that he's a Patriots kind of guy. He does his job. He gets in the right spot. And because he does that, 
You got a great quarterback. Tom Brady feeds him the ball. Uh, you look around what the Patriots have on offense. They got Sony Michelle's coming back. A, a they're running back. Their first round draft pick last year. Their running back will probably be better this year in the second year in the with the Patriots. Uh, Nikhil Harry's a great wide receiver who can win one on one matchups. Jacoby Harris is, I think, is going to be his Robin to Nikhil Harry's Batman. I'm excited to watch both of them. Uh, it, it's just interesting. In the Super Bowl last year, the problem with the Patriots was that. Oh, and by the way, I cannot forget <laughs> Julian Edelman. The Super Bowl MVP. I mean, like, the, the Patriots wide receiving core is great. And last year, the problem with the Patriots all year leading into the season, then in the Super Bowl, was the Patriots wide receiving core isn't good enough, right? They had Julian Edelman. That's awesome. But they didn't have an outside perimeter threat. Julian Edelman plays inside as a slot wide receiver. He doesn't line up against the number one corner on a team usually. They didn't have a guy, especially in the Super Bowl against the Rams, the Patriots did not have a guy who could win one-on-one matchups on the outside at the perimeter. Now they have Nikhil Harry, a guy who can do that. That's going to create better matchups for Julian Edelman. It's also going to create great matchups for the other guy, the, the, who I think is going to be the Robin to Nikhil Harry's Batman, Jacoby Myers. Um, I, I am so excited to watch the Patriots this year. Again, it's that same group of people. They're going to fall off a cliff. Where's the evidence? Where is the evidence that the Patriots are going to fall off a cliff? I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. All I see is a team getting better. They added Michael Bennett this year. Like, or, uh, uh, Michael, Michael Thomas? Michael Bennett. No, Michael Bennett. Wow, I'm so dumb. They added Michael Bennett, the defensive end from the Eagles. Um, I, I just, I, I don't get it. And I really think that it's very disrespectful to, I'm not a Patriots fan. Admittedly, I like Tom Brady quite a bit, but it's, it's, Silly and kind of disrespectful to not give the Patriots the benefit of the doubt. And if you're an NFL team, you'd be foolish to not give the Patriots the benefit of the doubt. Again, nine Super Bowls, they've won six of them. Until we have a reason to believe the Patriots are going to fall off a cliff, let's not assume they're going to. There's two people in the sports world that have defied all logic. It's LeBron James and Tom Brady. LeBron James seems to get, he's just gotten better with age. (laughs) And Tom Brady is better every year. It's like a fine wine. So, uh, you know, personally, I, I haven't started my research for my NFL predictions podcast. I'll do that in a couple days. Um, my, my initial guess is, man, the Patriots, they just won the Super Bowl, and now they're an even better roster. To me, that says, I think the Patriots should be a Super Bowl favorite. I don't know how you could possibly... There's a group of people that possibly have somehow believe that the Patriots are going to fall off a cliff, as Max Kellerman would put it. Um, I, I think that's just wishful thinking. I think it's a lot of people in the media. You know, every, again, if you say it enough every year, it's going to happen. And people are just, they're saying it to say it. Maybe they want that to happen, or maybe they want to be right when it does happen. They want to be the first ones to say it. But there's no evidence to suggest that right now the Patriots are not going to be the same Patriots team they've been for years. And until we have evidence, I would, I would really prefer, and it's not going to happen, but I would prefer people to just stop saying it. Still, until you have a reason, don't say it. Don't just say Tom Brady's old. You're lazy and you suck if that's all you have to say. That's a bad argument, and I, I'm done putting up with that crap. It's, it's, uh, it's done. I'm, time, I'm ready to move on. It's just like, ugh, I hate, I hate when people say, Tom Brady's old, Patriots falling off a cliff. You're just lazy. Okay, um, man, Antonio Brown. I, I talked about this yesterday. The Antonio Brown saga has been incredibly entertaining. Um, I, I think it's not as big a deal as everyone's making it out to be. You know, people, people are like taking a little grain of information and just 
leaps and bounds. It's like, just guys, just relax. It's really the state of the NFL media right now is um, it's so inflammatory and it is so self-serving. I, I, I don't know. Like this helmet thing. <laughs> Antonio Brown says, you know, if I don't get the helmet I want, I, I'm not going to play. And uh, the update on that story is that his, his appeal got denied. So, Nikhil, uh, so uh, Antonio Brown, I, I hope I've been saying Antonio Brown this whole time and not Nikhil Harry. Antonio Brown cannot wear his 10-year-old helmet in the NFL this year. It got denied. It's not going to happen. So he needs a new one. Uh, he did put on Twitter, Antonio Brown put on Twitter, anyone who can find him a shut air advantage made in 2010 or later, uh, he'll, tr- he'll trade like a signed jersey or something. He's trying to find a helmet he can wear. And I just, I really, really hate the way people have overreacted to this story. Um, Antonio Brown's missing a little bit of practice. He's fine. He's injured anyways. And does he really need training camp? Antonio Brown, not, not really. Uh, and to me, when I hear Antonio Brown, the more I look at this, like, my opinion has been evolving on this slowly. The more I listen to what Antonio Brown is saying and the messages he's putting out, is this, a, is this is a guy with tremendous personal preference, right? There, there's a couple of things I don't budge on. I wear, I wear, I'll lift them up. I wear black shoes, all black shoes. All, all I wear is all black shoes. I do not budge. I don't buy shoes with white on them. I don't like it. I like all black. That's how I wear my shoes. I wear gel deodorant. I don't budge on that. I hate the other crap. I only wear gel deodorant. There's a couple of things in my life. I'm like, I, I will not, I will not do the other thing. I only do it this way. I'm not budging on that. And for Antonio Brown, this is how he does things. He wears that helmet. That is how he plays football. He doesn't want to budge on it. He doesn't want to change. That's the thing he's come to love. And I understand and kind of respect the guy saying, I want this. I'm rich. I'm the best NFL in the, <laughs> receiver in the NFL. Why can't I have my way? It might not be very grown up, but there are some things in life you say, I'm not going to budge on. Again, I'm not wearing your crappy, you know, that white deodorant that like smears and leaves crap under your, I'm not wearing that. I wear gel. That's all I wear. I am very particular about that. Now, this is something Antonio Brown has been very particular about to an extreme level. I, I will acknowledge to everybody listening, you know, he, he took it a little too far when he said, if I can't have it, I'm going to retire. But also I think, you know, imagine a guy in a stressful moment going, if I can't have a helmet, I'm not even going to play. That, I'm sure that's kind of how it came out. And then it got reported and people take it farther and farther. No one gives Antonio Brown any credit here or any kind of a little bit of understanding. It's possible this is just a tremendous personal preference for him. And what's funny is I think he's going to find the helmet. Three years ago is the last time Shut made that helmet. So there are helmets out there he can wear. I'm sure a high school somewhere has one and they'll send it to him. They probably have multiple at high schools. I'm sure he's going to find a helmet and this whole situation is going to get swept under the rug. We're going to forget about it later. Like, oh, Antonio Brown missed like the first five days of practice. Who cares? I I really, really, and maybe I think this, my guess is this isn't an option. I don't know why he doesn't just pay someone to make him a special helmet. My guess is the NFL doesn't want to do that because then everybody would have their own special, unique helmet. They'd have to certify them and certification, and there's probably all these other contracts with these guys and these guys, and I'm sure it's a giant mess, right? So my guess is Antonio Brown can't just pay someone to make him a custom helmet, but the helmet thing is going to get resolved. He's not going to not play because he can't find a helmet. That's so silly, and people are, ah, ah, ah man. The way people are treating this story is so ridiculous to me. I- I'm tired of it. Antonio Brown's going to play football. He loves football. Again, 
Antonio Brown doesn't become the best wide receiver in football if he doesn't love the process and love doing the work. And he's not going to turn down the $30 million guaranteed if he doesn't play. If he retires today, he turns down guaranteed $30 million. What person in the right mind would do that? If you love your job and you're going to get paid $30 million with, and without it guaranteed, you're doing the job. So stop freaking out. Antonio, I think the story is slowly declining anyways, but this helmet saga is going to end. It's going to have a happy end. And I, I just think soon enough, it's all going to go away. And I'm so over it. I am so over the messages. I'm so over the media lambasting Antonio Brown. He's not a bad guy. He has a personal preference. He took it a little too far when he threatened to retire, but I don't think it was actually, he wasn't actually going to retire, right? That's how you negotiate. Has anybody ever haggled? Well, if I can't have it, then I'll do this. And you say the thing you don't really want so you can get even better than that. Oh my gosh. I, I just am so tired of this Antonio Brown story. Now we're going to move on to Antonio Brown. That story's driving me nuts. This is the other story in the sports world that is an, the next story about Dak Prescott is an example of the Dak Prescott story right now is an example of how the sports media works. Now people take a little grain of truth and just go way too far with it. And it is just, it, Oh my, I'm so done. So a report came out that Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback turned down a $30 million contract and requested for a, he wanted $40 million a year. He, he didn't want $30 million a year. He said, no, I want $40 million a year. That's the report that came out. Now, since then, multiple reports have come out. Well, that story is simply not true. That, oh, you know, Dak Prescott didn't actually say that. So I'm not sure what's true or not. Um, I just, uh, the sports media is the most res- irresponsible group of people. You know, the sports media, and <laughs> sports journalism and political journalism are just it's just a race to the bottom to see who can do a worse and worse, more irresponsible job. I, I I'm just everyone's reacting like having this conversation. Is Dak Prescott really worth forty million dollars? What do you think, Chuck? Is he? Eh, it's like shut up, stop. He's not. It's not a conversation worth having. The conversation is a waste of time. Dak Prescott doesn't want forty million dollars a year, even if the story's true, or even if Dak Prescott really did say, hey. We want $40 million. It's called negotiating. It's called, has anybody ever haggled? You ever bought a used car? The guy posts it for, you know, 2000 You say, I want it for 1500 You meet in the middle, you get it for eighteen. That's how it works. That is how haggling works. That's how negotiations work. I just cannot believe that, you know, the cowboy said $30 million. Dak Prescott said, I want 40. They're going to meet at like 35, 33, or 34. It, Dak Prescott's agent is just negotiating. And then somebody on the Cowboys side said, oh, wow, we're going to release it. We're going to try to undermine Dak Prescott and make his negotiations more difficult. That is how negotiations work. I cannot believe. Wow, I'm turning, <laughs> I'm turning into Stephen A. Smith. This, I, I'm going crazy. This, this bothers me so much. I can't but <laughs> I, I cannot believe the Stephen A. Smith thing where he goes like, it's the skip. It's the most unbelievable thing I have ever seen. I have ever seen. <laughs> what is going on right now? I haven't slept enough. Um, <laughs> I hate the story. Dak Prescott doesn't want $40 million a year. Here's the truth about Dak Prescott. 
<laughs> I just lost it for a second. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> I, I I do understand how you know in those those like first take how they just get more and more riled up, and then you have Skip yelling at with the other. What's the other? I don't even know. Max Kellerman, Skip and Max just yelling at each other. That's how that happens. They just escalate each other slowly. That probably is. Yeah, I've never watched it. I'm sure it's actually quite entertaining to watch these two grown men yelling at each other about sports. Um, the truth is, Dak Prescott, I think, is set on 33 or 34 million dollars a year. Right, Carson Wentz. Uh, I think Carson Wentz number is 32. Dak Prescott feels that he's deserving of more money than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott are division rivals. They have similar numbers. Dak Prescott's one more. Uh, now, personally, I think Dak Prescott should take a little less money. I, I don't think he wants a big $34 million contract because <laughs> there's problems that come along with that. If you pay him that much money, and if Dak Prescott does accept that much money, his teammates are not going to be as good. He's not going to have – if he hurts the Dallas Cowboys' salary cap situation – He's not going to get as much help to win games. They want to sign. The thing the Cowboys need right now is cap space. They have so many good young players that they can keep that group together. I think they could win a Super Bowl. And then what would you rather be known for? The guy who made $25 million a year and won a Super Bowl or the guy who made $34 million and tore your team apart? Dak Prescott wants to win a Super Bowl. It's good for his brand. It'll make him more money in the long term. I, I, I do not think he really – I'm sure he wants a $34 million contract. Doesn't, don't we all? But I think in the scheme of things, take $9 million less and have a better life, have, win more games, have better help. You'll get sponsorships for the rest of your life. I just do not understand this approach. And, you know, and I will acknowledge Dak Prescott has been robbed in the last couple of years. It's criminal how much he's been underpaid. Given what he's done for the Cowboys and how much he's been paid, it's absurd and ridiculous. He's been disgustingly overpaid. So I understand why Dak Prescott would look around and say, Dude, you had better pay me. I want $34 million. I earned it. I've been paid. I think he's been paid like less. I think like he gets like $600,000 a year. I, and look, that's I, I would kill for $600,000 a year. But I am sure, like when you look around your locker room and you go, oh, man, Zeke's making six. Other quarterbacks that I'm playing against are making millions and 15, 20, 25 million. I'm making $600,000 a year. That would bother me. That would really drive me. I, I understand where he's coming from. But gosh, dang it. Dak Prescott does not want... $40 million. It's fallacy. It's not true. It, even if it is true that he asked for that much, it's just a negotiating, negotiation tactic. I wish he would take less. I hope Dak Prescott takes less money because, again, they can sign more players. Amari Cooper, Byron Jones, Jalen Smith, Ezekiel. They, the more money they have to spend, the better teammates he will have. So he should take less money so they can pay everybody around him. But please, the fact we're having the conversation, whether Dak Prescott is worth $40 million or not, is absurd and ridiculous, and I am... <sighs> now, would I pay him $30 million? Dak Prescott, I, I wouldn't want to, but Kirk Cousins makes that much. You know, he makes like 20... I think Kirk Cousins makes $28 million, and Jimmy Garoppolo makes $27.5 million. He's done absolutely nothing. So if that's the standard right there is... He, I understand Dak goes, dude, I had better make more money than Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo has done nothing and got a gigantic contract. So really the truth behind this Dak Prescott thing is that Jimmy Garoppolo screwed up the market. And that's why Dak Prescott's asking for so much money because the ego and the market says, hey, uh, if Jimmy G can make that much, I sure as heck can make more than him. So that's my whole analysis of the Dak Prescott situation. Uh, it's not $40 million. please. Please, my, my notifications have been blowing up constantly. <laughs> I understand, but the media is not helping the situation. It's just, it's a not, it's a conversation that is simply 
not worth having. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Um, I, I, you know, before I go to break, uh, there's one more segment, one more topic that's really, really meaningful to me. If you're struggling, please go get help. Go get help. Uh, three years ago, my younger brother Zane took his life. It was uh, the hardest thing I've ever been through. Hard, you know, I'm, I'm glad I had my friends and family there to help me through that. Um, I, I grew a lot of new friends through that experience because I learned who was there for me and who wasn't there for me. Uh, but it was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And uh, there's two failures and two really sad things from my brother's death and lessons I learned. Uh, the first one is that you know I, I wish I'd told my brother more often that I loved him and that I was there for him if he needed help. And I don't think I did a good enough job making sure he knew that the door was open, that if he was having a hard time, that I was there for him. Um, and that's a, a big regret I have. So please, if you're listening, make sure the people in your life know how much you love them, how much you care for them, how mu- that you're there for them. And that if they're having a hard time, they're always welcome to come talk to you because I didn't do a good enough job in my life making sure that my brother was aware of those things. Um, now, the other thing that makes me really, really sad about my brother's death is that my brother never reached out for help. Uh, one day I just found him dead on the floor in his room and it it's miserable, man. It, it's really not, not an experience I would want anybody to have. Um, you know, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Again, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. But beyond that, you know, please talk to people in your life and go get professional help. Go get help. You know, my brother suffered in silence. No one had any idea he was struggling and he took his life. So again, Make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them, that you love them, and that you're there for them. And then please, man, if you're having a hard time, if you're listening to this out there, reach out to somebody. Share your problems. Journal about them. Get some help. Uh, just do not suffer in silence because that's what my brother did. And my brother is no longer here on planet Earth. And that's a horrifying, sad reality. Um, and I don't want that to continue. I don't want anybody else to lose their brother or their family or their sisters or their friends. I, I, I think suicide is a horrible, tragic issue. Um, I make sure to talk about every episode and I really, uh, that's, you know, the thing that I've chosen that means a lot to me and, you know, for good reason. So please, if you're struggling, go get help. All right. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a break when I return. I know I say Zach Schaumler as if you don't know who, you know who I am. Like why? Uh, not, not that, why wow, that sounded really conceited, didn't it? Like I just, my point is if you're listening to the show, you probably know who I am, the host of the show. I always say that like, this isn't a radio show. You don't just kind of pop in randomly and go, oh, who's this guy? You click on it, and you click on me and my content. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about former Florida State quarterback DeAndre Francois. Um, I'm really proud of this story. It's something that I, I was nervous to talk about. I don't think a lot of people in the sports world would talk about it because there's stuff involved that is painful and hard to talk about and meaningful. Uh, and then after that, we'll talk about you know the coolest thing I've seen in baseball in a long, long time. Uh, it has to do with a guy named John Boy Media. It was really cool. We'll talk about that. And then, uh, wow, I can hear myself. Something just happened and changed in my headphones, and now there's an echo and a delay. And it's so weird. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> it's just really loud. I'm turning it down a little bit. Oh, it's because it was all the way up. Something happened. It got turned all the way up. Um, we're also going to wow, – sorry for that random tangent. It, just, it scared me a lot to hear myself in my ear suddenly when I haven't the whole time. Uh, we're going to do some Pac-12 predictions after the baseball segment. The the U.S. the wow, I'm just throwing off a little bit. The Pac-12 writers came out and said something that I think is just ridiculous and not true, and so we'll talk about that. And then at the end of the show, we will have a special version of Ask Zach. I'm so excited. Um, all right, guys, that's it. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'll be right back. Coming up, 
a really cool story about a Florida State quarterback, a former Florida State quarterback, DeAndre Francois. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, you know what this is? This is the coffee from yesterday. It's still the same coffee from yesterday. I'm going to drink it to see if it's any good. My guess is no. It's probably still not warm anymore, um, but it might help my throat, so let's find out. Not warm? Surprisingly, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, I, I I just love coffee. I'm so gross. I just think coffee's so good. Um, I'm going to talk about something now that is really meaningful to me that is a story that I I just I just saw yesterday and it made me so happy. And uh, I, here it is. Um, for the last three seasons, DeAndre Francois was the quarterback at Florida State University. Uh, and, uh, no, in 2017, he got hurt, so he only played one game. Um, but in all at Florida State, he played 25 games in the span of three years and had a 58% completion percentage, 6,291 yards passing, 36 touchdowns, and 21 interceptions. He was a fine quarterback. He wasn't any great special thing. Um, you know, he was in 2016, the ACC offensive rookie of the year, but that's not why his story matters to me. I don't know that he's really going to be an NFL quarterback. I don't, he might be, he never really was regarded this year. Like he wasn't really expected, expected to eventually become one, but he was just, it's interesting because he played at Florida state and I I wanted to follow what happened. So again, after, you know, he started for 2016, 2017 and 2018, he was Florida State's starting quarterback. Now, this offseason, they dismissed him from the team. And that's something that's unheard of. That never happens that a guy who's been your starter for the last three years, you just kick him off your team and you, you throw him to the wayside. Um, and here's what happened. Here's the reason why. Evidence of domestic abuse by DeAndre Francois was brought to the surface. And, um, you know, domestic abuse is a really touchy subject. Um, I've seen people in my life be victims of domestic violence. I have. It's horrifying. It's not cool at all. I want to be very clear. I do not condone domestic violence at all. And Willie, uh, Willie Taggart, who's the head coach of Florida State, apparently shares that sentiment. He said, DeAndre, you're done. I don't care if you're our quarterback. You've been our quarterback for years. You're out of here. We're not, we're not keeping you on the team. And it's unheard of to dismiss what would have been a four-year potentially five-year starting quarterback at your school. It just never, ever happens. And so I, what I don't want to do for the rest of this segment is let what happened at Florida State overshadow the rest of this story because um, after a lot of searching and speculation of what he would do next, DeAndre Francois eventually went to Hampton University. He's at Hampton University right now. And, you know, so he dropped down a level. He left Division I football, went to Division I AA, and I think this was a good move for DeAndre Francois, the human. DeAndre, like, forget football player. I think as a person, this is what needed to happen for him next. Um, now, he has two years of eligibility left at Hampton. He's got two years he can play football. And I'm, I'm just curious to see how it goes. I'm curious to see what happens. Everybody at Hampton speaks really highly of him. And I, and I think a lot of people would ignore the story, not talk about it, and not bring up, DeAndre Francois at all. It's kind of become a bad word in the sports media because he was a member. He, 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 he in theory, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't even know if there's evidence or not, but a guy who is involved with domestic abuse, you don't talk about him. You avoid him. It's an uncomfortable subject. It makes me uncomfortable to talk about. 
Again, I know people personally who've been victims of domestic violence. It's a horrible, horrible thing. It's such a hot-button issue. But for me, I look at DeAndre Francois, a guy who had some success at Florida State, and a guy they seemed to like, and then he just got kicked off. And I, it just makes me so curious, and it makes me so interested. Um, you know, Because this guy went from the top of football, Florida State University, the ACC, got in trouble, and now ends up at a lower level. And I think, I think it's possible that being punished, you know, having consequences for your actions is a great way to learn and maybe eventually change as a person. And so that's what I want to see, you know, from a football standpoint, I believe Johnny Francois, if he plays really well at Hampton University, he's at in Virginia, he could have a shot to eventually play somewhere like the XFL. But I'm really just fascinated to see what happens. Has he really evolved as a person? Has he changed? Uh, you know, there's a video on YouTube. By, uh, it's by WAVY TV 10, uh, a Norfolk, Virginia local news station. And they talked with uh, Francois. They interviewed their head coach, uh, Robert Prunty at Hampton. And they really said a lot of good stuff. Of course, you know, it's marketing PR speak, sure. But the way they, they talked about DeAndre and what they said, you know, DeAndre mentioned the culture. He said, this is a family-oriented team. Uh, he talked about humility a lot. I was really impressed with what Francois said. And the coach really praised the way he was engaging with teammates, uh, with starters, with young guys, with walk-ons. There's also a story on 24-7 sports. Uh, he, you know, DeAndre Francois called it a blessing to be at Hampton. He said, you know, the school gives him a chance to focus being at a smaller school like that, where he can focus on schoolwork and stay out of trouble. And it seems to me, you know, this is my opinion. It seems to me that DeAndre Francois is doing a lot of the small things in life he needs to do to change. Uh, he almost went to Florida Atlantic, played for Lane Kiffin, and the kind of rumor slash undertone behind all that was that he didn't go there because it was too close to home. So he left Florida. And this whole thing right, is a mess. He did this horrible thing. This girl posted a video. It, it, it really like did not – he looks like an awful human. You don't want to be – a guy who does domestic abuse, not cool. You can't do that. Not acceptable. And I, I also understand, and this is where – this is why people would avoid this. I'm curious to see what he does moving forward. Does he change? I have no control whether what he does or not. I'm just an observer to the situation. How about that? Maybe that – you know, because my fear is if I talk about this, people get mad at me for condoning domestic violence. I am not at all condoning domestic violence. But I am curious – what happens with this guy? What, what's next for him? Um, he really screwed up massively, and I cannot understate that enough. I, I, I do not like what he did at all. But it does seem like DeAndre Francois is headed in a good direction that could lead to life change, that could lead to good stuff for him. And that's also really cool to see. I, I, you know, beyond football, he got out of Florida. He put good people around him. He went to a quieter place with less noise. Trust me, I know what it's like when there's a lot of noise around you and there's all these opinions about you. It's, it's hard. And, you know, I just hope that something good comes out of this entire situation. Um, I hate reading about domestic violence. It's a terrible story. And, and it's also sad. Forget that. It's sad when a football player struggles because I, I, I play quarterback and I really have a heart for quarterbacks. This guy has two years of eligibility left. Um, part of that is because in 2017, in the first game of the year against Alabama, he shredded his knee, was granted a medical red shirt. So there's two years left DeAndre Francois has to play in Hampton. And I am so curious to see how he does. I, I hope he's changed. Um, it does just seem like 
my opinion is it seems like he put good people around him and people that will encourage growth and he's in a good situation to succeed and you know that's cool that's cool i i know uh i don't know i just maybe i'm too empathetic but um when you see a guy taking steps to make good decisions and put yourself in a good position to succeed i think that's worth talking about and uh i'm just as an observer i'm excited to watch what happens in Hampton for the next couple of years and does he eventually go to the XFL does he go to the CFL is that even an option for him is he going to shred it at Hampton I mean he got to Florida State I would assume going down to a lower level he's going to really excel there and uh, I just I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens with DeAndre Francois in the next couple of years okay um in late June in late June there was a situation uh, during a Dodger game. Uh, it was the top of the ninth inning. Uh, the Dodgers were leading the Cubs 5-3. to three. There were two outs with a runner on second base. And uh, Kenley Jansen was pitching. Kenley Jansen was pitching. Jordan Hayward, uh, Jason Hayward, excuse me, Jason Hayward was the runner behind him on second base. And Jason Hayward was stealing signs. He was looking past the pitcher into the catcher, between the catcher's legs where he's giving signs to the pitcher. And uh, Kenley Jansen was uncomfortable with that. Didn't like it. Um, and so what he did, he didn't like the catcher. He didn't like the batter being able to pick up the, on the signals the catcher was sending him because the thought process is there. A, it's uncomfortable. But B, then he could be sending signals to the batter so the batter knows what pitch is coming. And that's not cool either. So what J- Jansen did was he found a creative solution to move Jason Hayward, the runner, from second base to third base. He's like, I, I don't like you there. I got to find a way to get you there so you can't see a lane to my catcher's hand signal. So he balked. And a balk is an illegal, uh, it's a legal motion in pitching you can't do in baseball. And what it does, the penalty for that, if you balk in baseball, the penalty is the runners on base get to advance. Now here's what's interesting about that. <laughs> the reason why it's so cool here is because in this situation, sending the runner to third base was actually not a penalty. He balked on purpose. He balked intentionally. He wanted Jason Hayward to go to third base so he could stop having a lane to see the signals the pitcher and the catcher were going through. And I just think that's, I think that's so cool. An intentional balk is such a creative solution to a problem. Um, you know, you see on video, he told his teammates, I'm going to balk. He told his teammates he was doing that. And that's cool for two reasons, both because, one, it, it, it's clear evidence that this was planned and designed. And it's also cool because it's respectful to let your teammates know what your plan is so that when they do it, they don't freak out and go, crap, we have a guy in third base. Now, I also want to be very clear about one thing. This, mo- this moment in the Dodger game was just a cool thing. I didn't see it live. I saw it later on a, a YouTube channel called John Boy Media. Um, John Boy is the best baseball creator in the game. If there's anybody making content on YouTube that you want to watch, it's John Boy. John Boy's fantastic. If you like baseball, I highly recommend you go listen to John Boy Media. And what he does is he's so good at, you know, highlighting the subtle nuances that make baseball so cool. John Boy is. John Boy, uh, I'm a huge fan. I would love to interview you someday. And, and no joke, I'm, I'm dead serious, the best creator in baseball. If you like baseball content, watch John Boy Media. He's so good. I recommend him. Uh, it's a dream of mine, John Boy. I want to interview you. Uh, I just, you know, John Boy, thank you for the great content. And uh, I, I love the sport of baseball. You do it so much justice 
with your content. Your channel, uh, John Boy Media, it just celebrates all the reasons why baseball is so fun to watch. So, John Boy, if you're listening, um, I, I just would love to interview you. I, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a fan of what you do. And don't tell the MLB this, but your content is so much better than theirs. Um, I, I just uh, – it's awesome. So I wanted to highlight that. This moment in the do- – I've never, ever seen an intentional balk, and it's one of those cool reasons. Like, that's why baseball's cool is finding a way to use the, the rules of the game for to your advantage. I love that. Uh, I saw it because of John Boy, and I just wanted to talk about it because it made me happy, and it made me – it was so cool to me. Drink some water. We have one topic left before we go to break. Um I'm, I'm so excited. We're going to talk about baseball for Ask Zach. You're going you're gonna to love it. Um, I think even if you like football, you're going to enjoy this baseball topic coming up in a minute after the break uh, because it's how I would fix baseball, how I would make baseball interesting for people who love football. But first, before we do that, let's talk about Pac-12 football. Uh, so the 35 media members who cover Pac-12 football Voted for Utah. They voted Utah as the favorite to win the Pac-12. Oy. Um, man. Uh, on one hand, this is really, really cool. Like, Utah getting some recognition I like. Um, I love, I love, I love Utah's head coach, Kyle Whittingham. I think he's awesome. And it's kind of cool to finally see Kyle Whittingham and Utah getting some respect. Because Kyle, again, is one of the best, most underrated coaches in all of college football. Now, the Pac-12 media, though, they love Utah's defense. That's why they were voted to win the conferences. The media loves Utah's defense. And I love their defense, too. But if you're listening to the show and you've listened for a long time, then you know I have great admiration for Utah's program. I love, love, love Utah football. I think they do things the right way. Um, I like them so much that when I was looking for a place to play football again, when I left Washington State, I was trying to, like, where am I going to transfer to go play football? I had a list of schools to walk on. Utah was one of those schools. I love, I love, I love Utah. I love their culture. I love their coach. I love Salt Lake City. Everything about Utah is great. But their defense is the thing that everyone's falling in love with. And to me, offense wins in college football, particularly in the Pac-12. You want an offensive-led team in, in college football. Utah's defense is incredible. But eventually, a good defense is going to slip up and have a bad game. They're going to give up like 35 points to some random team like UCLA. And you go, what? That's just how, that's what happens. Every time I see a defensive-led team in college football, they slip up at some point and they lose. Offense, to me, especially in the Pac-12, is what matters. And so to me, when I look around the Pac-12, I think Oregon has a great chance to win the Pac-12. I think that's who, that's one of the favorites I would give, is I love Justin Herbert, their quarterback. Uh, I love their coach, Mario Cristobal. I, I really like what Oregon's doing in Eugene. I think they have a good chance to win the Pac-12. Another team I think has a good chance to win the Pac-12 is USC. No one's talking about USC. I think they're a dark horse. Um, you know, I, I really, I kind of understand why no one likes them. To me, they're a dark horse because their offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell, is fantastic. They have a really good quarterback, JT Daniels, and they have a ton of offensive weapons. When you get a guy, a good coach, like they have a finally Finally, 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 USC got a good offensive coordinator. And everybody in the Pac-12 media is like, well, a new offensive coordinator, it's going to be really hard. They're going to really struggle because they got to make adjustments. Dude, 
How about you just be excited that for the first time in forever, USC's not just running a boring, stagnant defense. I think USC's our offense. I think USC's offense is going to be great this year. And that's because they got a new offensive coordinator, they shouldn't be penalized for that. I think you should predict them to be good because they have an offensive coordinator. People are like, new offensive coordinator, we're going to struggle, bro. It's like, no, 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 no. New offensive coordinator, they're going to be great because that's what happens when you make changes and you fix bad problems with your program. If there's a problem and you fix it, that's usually a good thing, not a bad thing. But the media, whatever, they don't understand. Um, now, frankly, the team I would pick, though, if I had, to pick, if I had a gun to my head, Zach, who do you think is going to win the Pac-12? And you know, it's funny, I'd probably get banned from YouTube for doing this. Um, ultimately, I think Washington should be the favorite to win the Pac-12. Uh, I love their head coach, Chris Peterson. He's a legendary coach. He used to coach Boise State for years. I loved him at Boise. Um, they, also, they have a great roster, and, and rosters win in college football. They have a great roster, and I, I'm pretty sure that Jacob Eason is going to be their starting quarterback. If it's not, I think Jake Hayner, if Jake Hayner can beat out Jacob Eason, uh, he's good too. But I think Jacob Eason's a future NFL quarterback. Um, I'm surprised, actually, it's taken so long. They still haven't announced him the starter for week one. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, and Jacob Eason will not be the starter at Utah and at, at, well, at Washington. Maybe, maybe Jacob Eason gets beat out at Washington and will not be the starter. So I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong about Utah. And if I'm wrong about Utah, and they, in fact, win the Pac-12, I'll be very, very happy because I really love their head coach, Kyle Whittingham. Um, but I just do not see Utah winning the Pac-12. I think it's going to be Washington, Oregon, or maybe even USC. It could come out of nowhere. And Stanford's no slouch, but Utah's not the team I would pick to win the Pac-12. I like Utah. I've always loved Utah. Their program is great. But I do not believe that they are the team that will win the Pac-12 this year. All right. Um, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, oh, I'm so excited. We have a great special edition of Ask Zach. Um, and uh, you guys, I think, are really going to enjoy it. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Be right back. Bye. All right. We are back. Uh, wow, I felt like a game show. Like my head moved and everything. It felt all wrong and weird. Um, it's time for Ask Zach. Uh, this is the ending segment I do every show. Uh, people support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. If you support me at the dollar level or above, it's very just $12 a year. If you give me a dollar a month, you have a chance to – you can submit questions to me, and I read all the questions, and I pick the top couple to answer at the end of every single episode. I'm doing something a little bit different today. Um, I'm doing – I'm only answering three questions today. I think it's a big topic, and it's all focused on one thing. Um, I asked for more questions for Ask Zach, and I got them. I'm so happy. Keep sending me your questions. I have so many now to go through, and I'm so happy about that. We're going to do a lot of shows this week. I'll do a lot of Ask Zachs at the end of every episode. We're gonna, I'm trying to answer almost every question I do because I'm going out of town, too, and I want to get them all answered. But uh, today I want to do something special. I want to focus on all the questions surrounding how I would fix baseball. So Carl and Anthony wrote in. Two people. If I can find the piece of paper wherever it is. Two, Carl and Anthony wrote in. Here, we'll read Carl's question first. Carl says, hi, Zach. Here's a question for you. Imagine you're the commissioner of baseball. He says, congratulations. I made it. Cool. He said, how do you fix the sport? TV ratings are weak, even for World Series, to say nothing of random regular season games. Live attendance is often mediocre, and there aren't enough fans under 30. How can we fix that? How can we fix baseball? Thank you for making the show. Um... That's, that's what Carl wrote. Anthony said a similar question, so I want to read that to Anthony says this. Anthony says, hey, Zach, I love the show. Keep up the good work. My question is, my question is, 
Do you think the MLB should try to modernize their game to appeal to new fans or stick to tradition to keep the old ones? MLB attendance has been a hot topic recently, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, first of all, dude, Anthony and Carl, thank you so much for your questions. Um, yeah, you got you to gotta find new fans. You got to always be finding new people. And if your fan base is all old, they're going to die, and then you're going to die because your fans better be younger. You, wanna focus, I, I just, you always want to be ready for the next generation. Uh, but here's the thing. To me, baseball is such a great sport. I, I love going to baseball games. It's so much fun. My girlfriend and I go to – we have this whole group of friends. We all go to Portland Pickles baseball games. It's a little wood bat league. And just that's an example of baseball is so fun. You get a drink. You're with your girlfriend. There's good baseball on, in front of you. It's just awesome. Now, the MLB in particular needs to do a better job adapting to modern times. Going to games is great, but social media is where, to me, baseball needs to do a better job. they got to engage and embrace it. And there's a couple ways they got to do that. One – Baseball is so awful to people who post baseball content. Uh, they claim every single video. If you put a video on YouTube with baseball stuff on it, instantly claimed you don't make any money. It's nothing. Um, John Boy Media is the best baseball creator in the entire world, in the planet. To me, like nothing's better than John Boy Media. And my guess is I've never talked to John Boy, but I'm, I'm 99.9% certain John Boy doesn't make any money from his videos he posts on YouTube because he's got baseball content in there and baseball claims it. Now, the only way he can make money then is either through a service like Patreon where people subscribe to him or when he has baked an ad saying like this segment sponsored by, I don't know, uh, the Green Shirt Club. And the Green Shirt Club sponsors this video and then he shows a little breakdown. By the way, if you've never heard of John Boy Media, he's fantastic. But it's idiotic for baseball to claim John Boy's content. Baseball should embrace John Boy Media. They should support him. In fact, they should let him make money off of his content because guess what? John Boy Media is a living, breathing, walking around commercial for baseball. And he's the best kind of fan you want. He's the best kind of commercial you want because John Boy loves baseball. And everything John Boy says promotes Major League Baseball. He's doing them a favor. If he makes money doing them a favor, he should because he's giving you free advertising. Baseball should look at John Boy as a free commercial. If they did that, that'd be great. And they should do that with everybody who makes baseball content. The more people talk about baseball, the better it is for them. You know why I've tuned into baseball this year? Because John Boy Media reminded me how fun baseball can be. It's so cool. There's all these baseball has so many little moments, like special moments that other sports just don't have. And John Boy Media on YouTube is a celebration of all of those moments. So baseball needs to relax their grip on videos that people post. It's, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. Go to Instagram. If you go to Instagram right now and look up Instagram, look for baseball news. The pages are all awful. There is no good, like, reliable, interesting, engaging way to find baseball news on Instagram. And I think it's because the way baseball treats it. They don't like when people do that. Baseball wants to do it all themselves. The only real good way to find baseball news is the official MLB Instagram account. But that one's so mixed in with other clips and stuff. It's too much crap. I don't like it. If you go to like, – look, look up NFL news on Instagram. Oh, wow. There's a bunch. It looks like there's so many pages, and they all have interesting, good content that is easy to follow and doesn't look like crap because the NFL doesn't have a monopoly on it. They don't care about owning it. They just want people talking about football. They, they realize baseball are, does needs to understand – that the more people that talk about baseball, 
the better it is for their sport. The more people talking and sharing MLB content, the more they grow, the better it is for them. They don't seem to understand that. In the video game world, uh, there's a guy named Rad Brad. He makes really good video game content. What he does is he makes he just he just plays video games and records it. It's called a walkthrough. And uh, you can look at it from this perspective. Video game companies could look at it and go, man, Rad Brad is posting the like so game developers, the guy who made like id Software made a video game called Rage a couple years ago. Not Rage 2, I'm talking the original Rage. When I first saw Rad Brad, he was doing a walkthrough of the video game Rage. And id Software who made the game could go, oh my gosh, this guy's posting our entire game on YouTube. And they could get really mad. But they didn't because guess what? The Rad Brad is actually free commercials for the game. I bought Rage because I saw it and it looked fun. I was like, I want to buy that too. When people make video game content on YouTube, guess what it does? It's a free commercial for the game. It influences people to buy the product. It's the exact same thing with baseball. Jumbo Media is a good thing for baseball. And they need to understand that MLB should use him. He's like their best resource. He's the living, breathing, walking commercial. I've repeated myself so many times. But it's not just that, right? The other way baseball needs to embrace social media is they need to embrace cool moments. Bat flips are awesome. I love bat flips. It's great. You hit a home run, you throw the bat across the room, and then the pitcher's staring you down because he's mad at you for showing him up. It's awesome, and I love it. Drama, drama, drama. I will show that a billion times on Instagram. If I see drama like that, I'm engaged. It's awesome. But baseball, <laughs> baseball doesn't like bat flips. They go, ah. Baseball purists are the most annoying, ignorant, idiotic people. Baseball purists are going to kill baseball. We, ugh. We, if you reject change, you're stupid. The world changes. Baseball needs to change. That is how the world works. The world changes. You need to adapt. Please, baseball. Please adapt. I'm begging you because I like your sport. But you got to be better. Batflips are awesome. Embrace batflips. Social media is a real thing. You got to use social media. If, you're, if you don't, you're a freaking idiot. You gotta, if people want to talk about you on social media, allow them to. That is how your sport can grow. Oh, sorry. I, I, baseball's too good a sport to not be more popular. That's the problem. Is it, it's a good, at its heart, it's a good product. But the people in charge of it are not doing a good job. Look at what the NFL recently did with celebrations. You score a touchdown, you celebrate, you're like, you, you get your little ball and you throw it. And woo, you're all excited. It's awesome. The NFL embraced celebrations. They realized Oh, they're funny. They're cool. And I can see them on social media. They realize people are going to share our content. People are going to talk about football more if they have cool celebrations to talk about. Baseball should do the same thing. Bat flips are cool. But, be, but baseball people are like, bat flips are stupid. It's disrespectful. Yeah, drama is interesting. The NFL and NBA have embraced drama. That's the problem. Baseball has not. Bryce Harper is my favorite baseball player in the world. I love Bryce Harper. He's not even the best player remotely, but he's interesting. He's fun to watch. He's kind of been a punk in the past, and that's why I like Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper once he took his helmet and he threw it at a pitcher, and I was like, that is so cool. And you know what happened as a result of that? I watched like 10 more games 
because of Bryce Harper. And the baseball, the MLB should have made a gigantic, like, 50-foot building with Bryce Harper plastered on the side. Said, we love Bryce Harper because guess what? He got people like me to watch baseball. He sold their product because he's interesting, because he's fun. Look, I, I get it. You don't need to throw helmets to be interesting in baseball. The, the pure sport, the pure sport of baseball at its heart is amazing, right? Think of a moment. In, it's playoff baseball. Playoff baseball is so tense and so fun. It's, a, it's the playoffs. It's the top of the ninth inning. Your team is down one, and <laughs> there's a runner on second base. You know that a base hit scores the runner. That's awesome. There's tension. But the problem is not everybody understands that nuance. Not everybody knows even to look for it. But everybody likes a bat flip. And then you need people like, so everybody likes drama. We can all recognize drama. And then you need people like John Boy Media who are able to relay the information and the breakdowns that show, oh, you know that thing, the guy on second base and all this stuff? You need a guy like John Boy to break it down to explain to simple people so they can learn to appreciate baseball more. Baseball has not done a good job spreading their message. That leads me to Caleb's question. This is the third question I wanted to answer today. Caleb says this. And by the way, Caleb has been a longtime supporter of Strong Opinion Sports. He once bought me a piece of equipment in the early days. Um, I, I'm just, man, when I had no money, he was there for me. I really, really appreciated it. Um, Caleb writes in and says this. He says, what do you think is the ideal amount of regular season games for each of the big four American sports, NFL, NHL, NBA, and MLB? Look, I think baseball could be fixed by simply embracing social media, letting creators make content, and allowing bat flips to happen. But here is the other, I think, the other piece that makes it even better. If you can, if you can change the schedule of baseball, it'd be great. So the NFL has 16 regular season games. You can add two more. They can have 18. It'd be fine. But every game matters in the NFL. Every single week, people tune in because it matters. The NBA has 82 games. It's a bit much for me, but it works. The money all works out. It's all happy. People like it. I, don't, I wouldn't change the NBA. And I wouldn't change hockey. Hockey has 82 games the same way the NBA does. It works. It's good enough. But baseball? Major League Baseball has 162 games. That's insane. That is way, 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 way too many. What that does is it makes games meaningless. Why would I go? Why would I watch? I'll just do it tomorrow. You know, there's a game tomorrow. Well, well, there's also a game the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next next day, and the next 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 day. There's so many baseball games. If they oversaturated the market. The reason why playoff baseball is so good is because it matters. Because you know there might not be more of that. You embrace the moment. It's special. And when you can make baseball special, it's awesome. Sometimes less is more. My proposal is this. This is, how, this is what I would do to baseball to change it. Every division in baseball has five teams. There's the NL and AL East, West, and Central Divisions. Just play the teams in your division six times. You play a three-game series at home in your city, and then a three-game series in their city. That's 30 games right there. Then you generate 50 more games by playing 5-0. You generate 50 more games by playing the other 25 teams in Major League Baseball twice a year. And there's, there's options. You can either play them one game in their city, one game in my city, or let's say this year we play two games in my city, and next year we play two games in your city. But either way you work it out, there's way fewer games. It would lead to 80, 8-0, eight, 
regular season Major League Baseball games. 30 in your division, 50 just playing everybody else. I think that'd be great. But just imagine you're a kid in Georgia and you love Mike Trout. Mike Trout is your favorite baseball player. And you know he's going to be in your state. You live two hours away, but you know he's going to be at Atlanta one time this year. Guess what you're doing? You're going to drive two hours to Atlanta because you want to see your favorite baseball player because you know he's not coming back. If you want to see him this year, that's the only time you do it. You drive to Atlanta because you want to watch Mike Trout play against the Braves. And if you can't go, you're going to watch it because you care. You love Mike Trout. You want to see Mike Trout against your team. Baseball needs to lower the amount of games to create more demand. People need to understand baseball is just a product. Baseball games are the product Major League Baseball sells. And right now, the supply is so big that there's low demand. They oversaturated the market with baseball games. It's too many. Stop looking at baseball as this thing. It's a product. It's a product you sell. And if there's too much of a product, nobody wants it. It becomes less valuable. It's very simple. So what you got to do to baseball is create more demand by making the supply smaller. Make it special. The Nintendo NES Classic came out, like, I think it was last year. But there was a limited supply. Nintendo only made and shipped so many. So they were hard to find in major cities in North America because everybody wanted them. They were sold out. It was hard to find. There was scarcity. There was rarity. It mattered. Make baseball special by having fewer games. It might actually, initially it might hurt you financially. I understand. Like, you have all these deals made. If you have fewer games, how's the money going to work out? But sometimes less is more. Here's how I think actually you might make more money with baseball. It would become more popular. Because you could have, so let's, for an example, uh, you could have 10 games. Uh, say you have 10 games a week, right? I don't know how the numbers work out. Maybe it's better with videos. But say you have, you have 10 games. Would you rather have 10 games with you know, 15,000 to 100,000 people watching? That's one option. Or, so let's say you're, you're, if you have 10 games, the maximum amount of people you can have watching is a million people throughout the week. Or what you could do, instead of having 10 games with nobody watching, how about you have three games that everybody watches? Three games with a million people watching every single game. I don't know if that makes any sense, but my point is if you have less, you might get higher engagement and actually make more money. Games might sell out. People on TV might watch more because like, oh, there's not a game every day this week, but there's one. It's Tuesday night, and it's going to be a good matchup. You want to watch that? Because that's a high-ticket item. Create more demand by lowering the supply. Baseball right now, as it is, it's too much. It, there's too much baseball. Something happens on Monday night last night. It's really cool, but by the time you go to appreciate it on Tuesday, there's already another game. You, it's, it's hard to cover baseball. Like, I, I, I find it hard to follow because there's just so much of it all the time. Baseball, baseball. I go to talk about a game yesterday and there's already another game. Or you got to try to follow the world, you know, the, the, the standings and you're like, well, it's already, we've already moved on. You know, by the time I talk about the fact that they're, you know, the Mets are a game back, they've two games ahead. My point is all this, and this is how I would fix baseball. Embrace social media, please, for the love of God, can Major League Baseball embrace social media? It's a good thing. It's a tool you can use. Content creators are free commercials, and they are the best kind of commercials because they love what you have. They just want to talk about your thing and share their love and their passion. That's the best kind of commercial for your sport. Bat flips are awesome. Please embrace bat flips. They're great. 
The same way ba- the NFL embraced celebrations, baseball needs to embrace the drama of bat flips. I hit a home run. I throw my bat. The pitcher stares at me. He's all mad. Everybody, no, no matter how well you know baseball, when two people are mad at each other, staring each other down, everybody understands it. No matter what language you speak, no matter how well you know a sport, you always understand that guy doesn't like that other guy, and I'm going to watch that. And fewer games would make baseball so much more meaningful. It'd make it more special. It's supply and demand. It's very simple. Right now, there's an oversaturation of the market. There's too many baseball games. They need to make it special with rarity. That is how I would fix baseball. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't know why I always tired at the end. Uh, I'm, I'm just so grateful, man. I love my job so much. Uh, I got a date with my girlfriend tonight. It's going to be really fun. And I just uh, I love you guys so much. I'm so grateful you watch. I'm so grateful you listen. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. Hope you have a great day. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next time. But I'm bum. Bam. We are done. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And you may not know, um, my dream when I graduate college eventually is to do this show as my full-time job. Uh, now, I also want to be very upfront and honest about my plan and what's going on. I recently monetized my YouTube channel. What that means is that some of my videos make money through ad revenue. Uh, now, it's fewer than you think. A lot of my videos get claimed. Um, but in the past, I've received donations through the form of PayPal and Patreon.com. PayPal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. So because I'm making ad revenue, it felt weird to just get donations. I wanted to give something back to the people who support me on Patreon. So now there's a reward. If you support me on Patreon, you can submit questions at the, at the dollar level or above. You just need to give a dollar a month. If you do that, you can submit questions to a pool of questions where I look at. I read all the questions on Patreon, and I pick the top couple every episode and read them and answer them on a, a segment called Ask Zach. Pick the top couple questions um, and answer them at the end of every single episode. Now, that's for people who want to support me with money. If you have no money to give, I totally understand. I've actually never supported anybody on Patreon. I feel kind of weird about that. I'm a broke college kid myself. I totally understand. Um, but if you believe in me and you, if you believe in my dream and still want to help me, one thing you can do is help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Guys, Thank you so much. I know that was a long spiel. I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great day.